Good morning, Sterling. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, we have, over the last number of weeks, been journeying through a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, and last week, we started off uh, part of that series by looking at spiritual gifts. And um, we're going to be continuing on that today, and we'll be doing so in the weeks to come as well. Uh, but I really want to talk to us this morning, start off by asking why. Why are we going to give some much-needed attention to the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why are we going to speak about some specific ones in the weeks to come and how we use them and why we use them, etc., etc.? And really, the answer to this is quite simple. is because we are a Bible-believing church, but not only just a Bible-believing church, but a Bible-doing church. We have a high view of Scripture. And with a high view of Scripture, it means we are compelled to do what Scripture says. And we believe, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, that this is the very Word of God, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, a reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That all Scripture is breathed out by God. The same God who breathed and creation came into, the be- into being, breathed, and so he produced by the power of the Holy Spirit the Scriptures. And so that does not mean that there weren't men that wrote it. No, these men would have thought hard about the, what they would have wrote. They would have spent time putting down efforts and planning. They would have considered the people they were writing to, the context they were in. But nonetheless, this does also does not mean that these men fell into a trance, that in some way they just kind of one day woke up and there was the, the scripture that they had written in front of them, or their hands suddenly lost control and picked up a pen and put down the words. But this is the very word of God breathed, not in such a way of a man's work with some divine fairy, sprinkle, uh, fairy dust sprinkled upon it, but the very word of God, he breathed it. He made sure that the words that they put down were the exact words he wanted them to write. And so that means for us that these words are trustworthy and true. We see this with Jesus in John 17, 17, praying to the Father in the garden of Gethsemane. He says these words, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And I want you to notice something important here. When Jesus uses the word truth, he doesn't use the adjective true, but the noun truth, which means it has a big implication for us. It means that this very word that we read and hold to is not just true in that it conforms to a higher standard of truth, but it is the highest standard of truth that other truth needs to conform to. Does that make sense? And that's really hard for us in our postmodern context where we think that the truth is found within us. No, my friends, the truth is found in this book. And all truth cannot go against uh, this very truth. This is the highest standard of truth. But as a result of that, what it also means is that the Word of God is written for us today. We see this in Hebrews uh, 4, verse 12. It says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of the soul and of the spirits and of the joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you hear that? It is living and active. It is alive, just as it was 2,000 years ago. When when these uh, uh, books were penned, or even longer than that for some of them, that while they were living and active then and were written for a purpose then, they are still written for a purpose now too. And so that has some implications for us. 
And there's two that I wanted to unpack this morning briefly. And the first implication that it has for us is that means that these commands that are given to us in Scripture are commands that we have to take seriously. Amen? We have to live them out. And so when we're talking about our topic, just bring it back to our topic this morning of that of spiritual gifts. When the Scriptures command us about spiritual gifts, we want to take them seriously. We want to know what it has to say, and we want to do what Scripture tells us to do. And so we see here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it says, now this is Paul's whole point, now that the gifts of the Spirit, or spiritual things, or spiritual people, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know. So we as a church want to know about it. We don't want to be uninformed. Now, let me say that when it comes to top, certain topics, that you can read as much as you want about it, but actually doing it really helps you to understand it the best. There's nothing like actually surfing to help you know what surfing is like. I can explain it to you, what it feels like to catch a wave, but when you catch that wave and the wave is propelling you forward, there is no other way to experience it than to know and do it. And the same in a similar way with, with the spiritual gifts, that we can read much about it, but we don't want to just be people who know what they mean and the definitions, but to know and be informed fully means we have to put them into practice. We see this in another part of Scripture that Paul speaks about in Romans 12, verses 6 to, uh, 6 to 8. We'll be looking at this verse a little later again. It says, having, the gift, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, what does it say? Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so we want to be people who put it into practice. Why? Because Scripture tells us we must do so. Or we want to take seriously the command of 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 1. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that of prophecy. And so we want to desire the spiritual gifts. We want to see them in our, active in our lives. We want to see them active in our church. And what's going to propel that is, is love. We want love to be the driving force behind those spiritual gifts. And it says they're especially that of prophecy. So we are going to want to see prophecy functioning in our church. We'll be speaking about that more in weeks to come. And then the, the second implication of all of this is that the written word of God becomes our guide. And this is important for us this morning. If we believe this is the very word of God, the guide to our lives, then any other forms of God speaking through people, it has to conform to this word. Does that make sense? So when someone comes and says, I feel the, I, I feel the Lord is saying this, it cannot contradict this word. It cannot add to this word. We judge what the Spirit is doing, or so-called movements of the Spirit, by the word of God. Because the same God who speaks through spiritual gifts is the same God who wrote this word, and He will not contradict Himself. He will not add to what He's already said. He has already done all that He needs to do through the word of God. And so it becomes the safeguard for us around spiritual gifts and them functioning in our church. It is the safety net that helps us as we pursue after the gifts, as we want to see them functioning, this becomes our safety net. And so why do we as a church consider ourselves to be continuists? In, in other words, we're charismatic. We believe that the gifts are all still functioning. 
because we are compelled by God's word to believe that it's important for us to take it seriously. And these things are still functioning as a result of what God's words says to us. So last week we looked at what a spiritual gift is, and we're going to do the same. We're going to start off there again this morning. If you have to read through the New Testament, the first time you will see the word spiritual gift used is in Romans 1, verses 11 and 12. Let's turn there and see what it has to say. It says the following. Uh, Paul, writing to the Roman church, says this, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And the, the translation there, I impart to you some spiritual gift for your strengthening, kind of seems like what Paul is trying to say is, I've got this gift that I want to help you get. But actually what Paul is trying to say is, I have a spiritual gift that I want to use in your presence, use for you so that you might be strengthened. And one of the first things that this passage helps us to see, is first and foremost, is that spiritual gifts are given for the strengthening of others. Spiritual gifts are given for the strengthening of others. My friends, that does not mean that when we use our spiritual gifts, it doesn't bring us joy. It certainly does. There's a huge benefit to us to use our spiritual gifts because it means that we are acting and participating in the plan that God has for us as individuals, and that brings much life and joy to us as we do it. But the primary purpose of a spiritual gift is not to benefit us, but to strengthen others. Uh, it is, we have been given gifts to give, not hoard. And we see this uh, with uh, Paul. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. There's, a, there's an imparting that takes place. But last week and, and this week, we're going to talk, we spoke about strengthening and building up of the church, that's what the point of a spiritual gift is. But what do we mean by strengthening? So you've given, God given a spiritual gift to strengthen others, but what do we mean by strengthening? Well, the word used here in Romans 1, that word strengthened, is used again in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2, and it helps us understand what it, what it means. Let's look there. It says, We send Timothy, our brother, and servants in the gospel of Christ to strengthen your faith. There it is. That's the word, to strengthen your faith and to exhort you that no one may be moved by these afflictions. So to strengthen someone's, as someone by a spiritual gift means to help their faith not give away easily. It means to strengthen somebody's faith that when they go through trial, when they go through difficulty, when they have some affliction, that their faith is solidified and strong that to help them have a, a faith that is strong and maintained in the midst of life storm, that they are a, able to keep an even keel. They're able to keep straight. And so for us, we've got to ask ourselves the question then, are there people around us whose faith is in trouble? And if there is, then how can we help them? Do we need to take stock? Do we have a spiritual gift that we have been given by God that we can use to strengthen their faith in the midst of the trouble that they are going through. Do we have that? And if we do, then we can help them by the grace of God to strengthen their faith. Now, this brings me to my next point, and it's the question about, well, how do we name our spiritual gifts? How do we figure what our spiritual gifts are? 
And I think this is when, as a pastor, when we speak about spiritual gifts, majority of the time when I chat to people, this is where we fall short. People struggle. They go, well, Joe, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And I'm sure many of you would be able to put up your hands this morning and say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. But I think this is where we spend so much time trying to bend our mind into figuring out what spiritual gift that we have so that we might put a label on it before we use it. And so we want to know whether or um, we want to know whether or not we have prophecy or teaching or wisdom or knowledge or healing or miracles or, or mercy or administration and be able to say that is mine so that then I'm able to function in it. But if we take into consideration that the point of a spiritual gift is to strengthen somebody's faith, then what we should be doing is asking the question, is there anyone around me that needs their faith strengthened? Yes, how can I strengthen their faith? Do your best at doing it, and if God uses you in that, then maybe you have just stumbled across what your spiritual gift is. So if you're going out for coffee with a friend, and as you're chatting, you just notice something's not right. And so you start to probe and say what's wrong, and, and, you, and they tell you, and you share with them, and you speak to them again, and, and as a result, they come away encouraged, and, and they have a sense of hope within them, well, maybe you have the gift of encouragement or the gift of apathy. Or, or maybe if you are going around and, and you, you, you bump into a friend you haven't seen at church in ages, and you've seen some stuff on Facebook and their WhatsApp statuses and you're a bit concerned about their actions and you, you lovingly come along and say, hey man, where are you with Jesus? I see you doing these things, but I really want you to come to Christ again. And they hear you and they repent of their sin and, and they repent of their wandering from God and they come back to Jesus. Maybe you have the gift of warning. Or if you have the, someone who just feels like you're giving up and they can't continue and they don't know what to do with their lives and, and they're just down and out and they want to quit, maybe if you come along and you encourage them and you, you stir up faith in them, maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Or, or on, on Sunday, you notice that there's somebody out there who's standing all by themselves. Everybody else is chatting, laughing, drinking coffee, great fellowship happening, but they're out by themselves in the corner. You notice them, you go over to them, you, you chat to them, you invite them for some coffee, you introduce them to your friends, and suddenly someone who did not know anyone, who was feeling alone and not loved, not sure this church is for them, suddenly feels at home, maybe you have the gift of hospitality. You see, friends, it doesn't come first by labeling the gifts. It comes by loving others and wanting to strengthen their faith that you find your gift in. You see, the, the primary problem that we have, the basic problem about not knowing our spiritual gift is not that we can't label it, but rather that we don't necessarily care about other people's faith and want to see them strengthened. You see, our human desire, our natural human desire is to break down, not build up. The basic problem is we need to want to see others grow in their faith. And if we could be a church that when we woke up in the morning, we praise God for his wonderful salvation, that he would give us Christ, that he would be so gracious to me to give me Jesus, and I know him. But then after that, we move on to go, but Lord, today, would you just move someone into my circle, move someone near me that needs their faith strengthened, and would you help me to see how I can do that? 
that I might be able to point them to the wonders of Christ. May I be able to tell them that in Jesus, as a Christian, that the promises of God are yes and amen that I might be able to show them that Christ never lets them go, that I might be able to point them to the wonders of our God, that if I could do that today, Lord, to strengthen somebody's faith, would you please do so? I promise you now, the Holy Spirit who likes to make much of Jesus and to use us in doing so will bring people around that you are able to, if you would be bold enough, if you would be obedient enough, that you would be able to strengthen other people's faith and you will find your gift in that way because the Lord will use you mightily through it. And so, I, but I wanna, I wanna show you something else in this text. Romans, Romans 1 verses 11 and 12, what really strikes me about it is that Paul is assured that not only will he be able to impart a gift to them through his spiritual gifts, but he is also convinced that those people in Rome, who he has not met yet before, by the way, he is convinced that they have gifts that will benefit him. That the great apostle Paul, with pretty, I know not everyone has every gift, but I'm sure Paul was very close to having all of them. He was so convinced that this great apostle, he was so convinced that others would be able to use their gifting that will benefit him. And I say that this morning because there are some of us in this room who go, well, even if I do have a spiritual gift, is it at all gonna make a, an effect? There, there are men and women in this church who have great spiritual giftings that, that take the spotlight, that use it, and God is using them mightily. What can I add? What can I do? But I want to point out that Paul needed others. Everyone needed one another. Everyone's gift needed to be functioning. And I want to encourage you this morning that regardless of what gift you might have, that your gift has an important place in this body. It is vital that even if Paul was standing here this morning himself, he would be so assured that you, Christian, have something to give that would be of a gift to him. It's within you. That moves me on to our next passage. We're going to look at Romans 12, verses 3 to 8. Um, and I just want to read the whole thing for you here. But what, what we see here in Romans 12, 33, it says this. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. So I've just been saying and individually members are one, uh, uh, one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, and to one, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And the first thing I want to point out to you this morning is I want you to notice that some of those gifts that Paul highlights in that text, a majority of them are all instructions that we ought to do as Christians whether we have the spiritual gift or not. So let's look at a couple of those examples. Exhorting, we're all meant to do that. Contributing, generosity, acts of mercy, service, teaching. 
these are things that each and every single Christian is instructed to go and do. So when it comes to determining what spiritual gift we have, actually we find that quite easily if we are more obedient to just what Scripture tells us to do. You see, friends, just because certain people are gifted in a certain way does not mean we are exempt from doing the commands that God has for our lives. So let's use an example. Warren Bradfield, I don't know if he is this morning. He, Matt, he's not, so I'm going to honor him without him being here. He has the gr- one of the most phenomenal gifts of service that I have ever seen. If you know Warren, you just know that man has the gift of service. But friends, just because Warren is great at it and when he serves, our faith is built up through his loving acts, does not exempt you and me from serving. We are all called to serve one another. We're just blessed to have a Warren who does it and we are blessed. Just because some have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean that we are all exempt from evangelizing. I have a friend, his name's Eugene O'Neill. He's, in, he's pastoring Grahamstown, one of the Baptist churches up there. Has a phenomenal gift of evangelism. How do I know this? Because Eugene has had people call him on the wrong number and he's led two people to Christ. There was once at seminary, there was a traffic jam on the N1 and he stood about 20 meters from a fence to a car and shared faith with someone through the fence. And they gave their life to Christ. Stuck in traffic. Man's ex- phenomenal. I want to go evangelizing with Eugenio. But nonetheless, it does not mean my friends don't get to hear the gospel because they don't know Gino. You see, friends, we are still called to do that. And the same is with teaching. You might not think that you're all called to teach, but you are. Go and make disciples. How do we do that? By baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus has commanded parents just because you do not have the gift of teaching does not exempt you from teaching your children you're still required to do it we have there are multiple gifts that we are still required to do even if i mean multiple commands that we are still to do even if we do not have that gift but if you go and do those commands some of you will find some of you have the gift of evangelism you just don't know it because you never evangelize it's about being obedient to the commands that we are still meant to do And then there's a second thing that's so important here for us as we consider gifts. It's here in Romans 12, verse 3. It says that each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned is the way we should use our gifts. And I think Paul throws us in here into the into the, the, the message here to the Romans is because he wants us to think soberly and humbly about who we are if we have gifts. That the danger of giftedness is that you can think and puff yourself up because God is using you in whatever way. And he wants to guard us against two things. He wants to guard us against those who are being used by God to bang our chest like King Kong to think we're really great. That's certainly not the case. Because what Paul is trying to show you is not only is the gift that has been given to you a gift that you have not deserved, but even the faith to use that gift is a gift. And so if you are being used by God, there's nothing amazing within you that, is, that has suddenly uh, been effective. No, the gift itself was a gift, and the faith to do use the gift was a gift. It's all God. 
And so when we see as a church, so, so not only should this humble us as the person who's using our gifts, but when we see God move mightily within people, we do not go, wow, that person is amazing. No, we don't put them on a pedestal. What we do is we look to God and go, God's amazing. Because God is able to take a sinner like that person and give them gifts and empower them in such a way that God could use that weakling to do that much. We're amazed by how much God did, not amazed by the people. We don't make much of people, we make much of God. Because God has given us everything we need to be used. So, even, so I just want to read just the end part of this verse. It's going to be all up. But in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 28 to 31, I just want to read verse 31 here. Right at the end, it says, So that... As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let us make much of God, not much of people. The last passage of uh, scripture I want us to look at this morning is found in, in 1 Peter 4 verses 10 to 11. Let's unpack that. And I've just got four brief observations there for you. One's a little long, but the rest are really short, I promise. It says the following. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as the one who speaks uh, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by uh, the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. The first observation I want to point out then, we've already emphasized it, so I'm not going to go much on it, is that each has received a gift. You have a gift, Christian. This, the spiritual gift stuff is not just for a select few. When you came to know Jesus, you were not only given the gift of the Spirit to come and seal your heart, but you were also given gifts. The Spirit sovereignly gave you at least one, and in my experience, most people all have more than one. You have at least one gift to use. The, the second observation that I want you to notice here is that we are stewards of grace. If you consider the image that Paul is using here of a household who has an owner, and the owner has some servants or stewards, and the currency, they've been given funds to use around the house to make the house function. And so if you want to put that into our terms, we have a house, the church, the owner of the church is uh, is God, we are the servants, and we have been given a currency, and that currency is grace. Now, typically when we think of grace, we think of when we came to know Jesus, that the grace is unmerited favor. We did not do, earn anything to do anything to earn our salvation. Our salvation was given to us freely as a gift. Faith is a gift. Justification is a gift. This was all given to us by God. It is gracious that he has done so. But when we also consider the spiritual gifts, they too are grace. As I've mentioned, you have done nothing to earn the gift. The gift has been given to you graciously. And so as, as Christians, we have two areas of grace in which we use as we function in the church. The first is we've gotten to know Jesus, and so we tell others about Jesus. It's the grace we've received. We tell others about this wonderful hope that we have. And the second is our spiritual gift, which is the primary function that we use to tell others about Jesus. And so we, if we are to function well within this household and to be good servants, we have to use the grace, which is our 
our, our currency. We have to use that grace well in order to function well in the house. Does that make sense? I see one or two nods. I'm going to take that because we've got communion next. But I've got, I've, got, I've got kids. I've got two little lighties that were here with me this morning. And I love to give them gifts. But here's the thing about giving your children gifts. You want them to play with the gift after you've given it to them, right? You don't want to put in this well-thought-out gift. They're looking at it, eh, and they throw it aside. They're not interested. That hurts. But you want them to have fun and use it and enjoy it. But here's the th- second thing about giving some kids gifts. At least when I do it, it's when I spend money on your gift, I want you to look after it. I don't want you to damage it. I don't want you to see you kicking it around the garden unless it's the ball that I gave you. Then I want to see you kicking it around the garden. But I want you to take care of it. And in a very similar way, friends, God has graciously given us gifts and he wants to see us use it. But not just use it half-heartedly, but to take it seriously, to nurture it, to grow it, to, to look after it and to use it in his kingdom. Let me, let me end this point off with that story that Jesus tells. He tells of a parable of a, of a, of a, um, of a, of a owner who leaves, and he leaves behind with his service some money. He gives to the first one five talents, an apt name for us in English, but he gives us five talents, which was a currency, which was one talent was about 20 years worth of wages. So he gives the first guy 100, 100 years worth of wages. And he says, look after it, use it, make me more money, and he heads off. He gives the, the, the second service two, two talents, 40 years worth of wages. And he gives the third servant one talent, only 20 years worth of wages. That's still a lot of money. If anyone wants to give me 20 years worth of my wage, you're more than welcome to do so. But he gives him 20 years worth of his wage. And then he heads off, and then he comes back, and he comes to the guy with five, and he says, what did you do with it? And he says, well, I've made you another five. And those famous words by Jesus, what does Jesus say? Well, or the, the owner say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Then comes the guy with two talents, and he's also, he's doubled his money too. He's brought back four talents. But I just wanted you to point out to you that he, that is four is less than half of ten. But yet, with the four, he gets the same praise as the man who gave ten. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And it's the man with one talent that is buried because he's too scared to mess it up that the, this owner says, get away from me, you wicked servant. But the thing I want to point out to you in this is that the owner uses, uh, the, the, the servant who brought back 10 and the servant who brought back four both got the same commendation and praise because the owner did not care about the size of the gift that they gave back as much as the faithfulness with the gift that they had been given. Friends, it's not about the size of the gift you have that matters to God. He has given it to you. He's not going to look down on you because you have a little one. He has given it to you. But what matters to him is how faithful you are with the gift you have. And may I say, if you have a big one, you have a bigger responsibility. You have to be faithful with what you've got. That's what matters to God in the end. Do not hide it. Do not put it away because you're scared. Use it for the glory of Christ. Which brings me uh, to our third observation Actually, I'm just going to skip the third one. We're just going to go straight to the last one for the sake of time. And that is that it is used for the glory of God. Spiritual gifts. The primary aim of a spiritual gift is to build up others for the glory of God. We see that right at the end of the text. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
that when the church functions well and is using her spiritual gifts well, and we are loving one another by building up faith, others look at us and see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. I want to close with a quote from John Piper, and it's this, it says, and therefore, and sorry, and there is nothing more thrilling, more joyful, more meaningful, more satisfying than to find our niche in the eternal unfolding of God's glory. Our gift may look small, but as part of the revelation of God's infinite glory, it takes on stupendous proportions. Isn't that wonderful? And so as we've been considering gifts this morning, and, and as we turn to the, our communion, uh, to, to the elements this morning, I, I want to point out that while we have been given spiritual gifts, that the greatest gift that you have received is Christ. That as we hold on to these, we can know that we are loved and that we are cherished. And that God not only died for us to save us from sin, but died for us that we might have a purpose in life as we hold on to these elements. And so I'm going to ask you to come forward. Uh, if the servers, I don't know who's serving this morning, to handing out, uh, if you wouldn't come, mind coming up. But as you come up, grab these elements. Ponder on how much you are loved. Ponder on the fact that your sin is forgiven. Ponder on the fact that you have been saved, not into isolation, but into a body, into a people who will love you and who you get to love as well. Come forward and let's do that.